Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we seek you. We seek that you would speak to our hearts and teach us. Father, we come and we pray and give you thanks for, for all the teaching that has already occurred, for the worship, Lord God, for these baptisms, Lord God, for getting to celebrate so many years of service by Diane, and Lord God, we just thank you for the way that you're working among us, and we ask, Father, that in this moment, you would draw each one of us to a place where, Lord God, we're, we're completely open to what you have to teach to us and speak to our hearts. We pray that you would help us to hear your voice and not just the voice of another preacher. And gracious Heavenly Father, we seek you and ask you to come to this place and take over this pulpit and these pews for this time. Come and move among us and, and Father, grant us the, the working of revival within our souls, for we need that. Lord God, we confess before you that none of us have, have reached a peak where we have no more to grow in our, our walk with you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us today to take another step forward into godliness and to being the people that you want us to be. And so, Father, we pray this in the sweet and holy name of Jesus. Would you say that name with me? Jesus. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, you know, most of the time when I'm somewhere preaching, the pastor's out. And, uh, and so, if anything happens to me or if I do something silly or, or make a, a crazy mistake, uh, the pastor's out. But today the pastor is in, and, uh, and uh, several weeks ago God spoke to my heart about a particular passage, and, uh, and Ronnie, I'm excited to preach this passage today with you here. And sometimes I wish the pastor was present uh, because of what the Word God says to us about the way we treat people like our pastor and other people who teach us the Word of God. And so if you'll take your Bible and begin, begin finding Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. That's where we'll be this morning. I'm going to talk about treating teachers to good. And, uh, and already several people have wondered what that means. And, and by the time I'm finished, if you don't know what it means, please come up afterwards and ask me. But my job is to make it clear. Amen. Amen. Are you there? All right. Um, uh, so, so Galatians 6, 6. Years ago, I heard a story, a pastor told the story about somebody who came to his office, just walked into his office and said, Pastor, I need your car keys. I can either be good or bad. You never know where something like that is going to go when someone comes in and says, Pastor, I need your car keys. And, and so the pastor asked, well, why? What, what do you need? And he said, I'm taking your car to get it washed, and vacuumed, and all cleaned out, and detailed. And where the pastor served, one of the things in that culture that was important was your vehicle and the way that it looks. And you know what happens around here, pollen blows around, or dust, you know, you can't really tell the difference, can you? And it lands on your car, and then we have rain. You know that thing we call rain where four drops drop out of the sky and it hits that stuff on your car and then, then we don't have any more moisture for six days and more pollen or dust. You know, you can't tell the difference. Lands on your car and then we have rain again and this time it's a, a downpour and there's five drops that fall on your car and you know what happens. It gathers all that little stuff together and it dries on your car. 
and bakes on and, and slowly it looks worse and worse. And if you don't spend time with it, your car starts looking pretty dirty. And so, so for them in that, that, that city, it was a big deal to have a nice-looking car, and so people worked on this all the time. And, and that was just one more thing for the pastor to do. And this man had on his heart to come and take the car, pastor's car and have it washed and cleaned and all that. One week later, the pastor was in his office, and this man walked into his office and said, Pastor, I need your keys. And just to make sure, he said, what for? He said, well, Pastor, I'm taking your car to get it get it washed and cleaned. One week later, this man walked into the pastor's office and said, Pastor, I need your keys. One week later, this man walked into the pastor's office and said, I need your keys. One week later, this man walked into the pastor's office and asked for his keys. And he said, you know, I never really thought about what it would mean to me. But over time, that meant so much to me that somebody cared enough about me that they would come and do something just to do something for me. Everybody else who walked in his office needed something or had a question or, or had a problem that they needed help with or came with a deep theological question that no one has ever heard the answer to. And, and they would come, and they always wanted something, but this man, he came and took my keys because he wanted to give me something. I've never forgotten that story. Years ago, Susan and I, I was an associate pastor at the time, and we were in a situation where, where the, 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 what we were getting paid from the church didn't cover didn't cover the cost of living. And so, so each, each month we dipped into what little savings I left seminary with. And it was getting thinner and thinner and thinner. But, you know, God had called us there, and we knew that. And we're trying to do the best with what we could. We're trying to be prudent. And one night, Susan and I were sitting down talking about just how expensive, how burdensome it seemed to buy a gallon of milk. Because it just seemed to cost so much. And, and we were talking about that, and we, we prayed and talked to God about that, how it, was just, it just seemed so burdensome for such simple things. Now, guys, the next morning, I opened my front door. I opened my front door, and laying on my doorstep was a little envelope. I didn't leave it there, so I picked it up and looked at it. And handwritten on the outside of the envelope, it said this, milk money. And inside the envelope were $101 bills. And one month later, I opened my front door, and there was a little round set of bills held together sitting on my front doorstep with a little paper inside a rubber band, and it said, milk money. And a month later, I opened my front door, and there was an envelope laying on my doorstep, and it just said, milk money. Guys, I don't know whoever did that. I don't know how they heard the private conversation that I had in my home with no one else around save that God alone did it. I don't even know that a human being came and put that on my doorstep once a month. I just don't know. But I know that somebody was trying to do something good for me. I don't want you to know, month after month after month after month, I received an envelope or a little roll of $101 bills marked milk money. Until a Sunday came that the church took action. And they didn't just give me a raise. You couldn't describe what they called as giving me a raise. They changed my salary so that we could survive. 
And after that, there were no more little envelopes marked milk money. God took care of us. Somebody, somebody listened to God and paid attention and took care of somebody who was serving in the church. Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. Would you read along with me? Now, I just want you to know this is one of the most difficult to translate passages in the New Testament. And so you're going to have some different words than what I have. And that's because of the translation difficulties, and we're going to talk about that. Here's, here's what I have. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a person he sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, this is one whole paragraph in the, in the Greek New Testament in the original language. And now, now, a lot of times people take pieces out of this and they quote it and, and they use it in a way that they tell truth, but they take it out of its context and, and you don't see how that truth is used here in the Bible in this spot. It's true, but it lacks its context in the way it was applied. If you look in verse 6, it, it uses the words or something similar to it in your translation, share all his good things. In verse 9, it talks about doing good. Let us not get tired of doing good. And, and in verse 10, it, it talks about it, let's, let us work for the good of all. And guys, this is all about doing good. This is all about doing good, and, and the, the phrase and the wording that drives the whole, whole paragraph is right there at the beginning. Let the one who is taught the Word share all his good things with his teacher, with the one who teaches. I want to walk you through that. This morning, this is Scripture. This isn't just uh, something that, that I thought would be nice for us to do. You'll notice we're not in the middle of Pastor Appreciation Month, so this isn't a sales pitch for the emphasis of the month. This is God's Word. I ran upon this when I was preparing a tiny sermon. I'm not giving you a tiny sermon today. I'm giving you the whole thing. But, but it begins like this. It's this word, share. This word, share, is, is what everything in this verse runs down into, to share. And, and it can either mean to contribute something to somebody. It can mean to communicate something, like when we say share our testimony. Or it can mean to, to, to participate in something. I had a share in that. And the way that's used here is, is contributing something to someone. And the one who does the contributing is the one who is being taught in the Word of God. If you this morning have experienced or are experiencing right now being taught the Word of God, would you raise your hand really up high and wave it around like this? I'm one of those people. Yes, look around you. That's all of us. Those are the people who are supposed to share or contribute. And the one who is supposed to re receive it, this verse says, is the one who is teaching. 
That's what the original language says, the one who is teaching. Not just the teacher, but the one who is teaching. The one who is teaching. And so, so those who teach, we see the value that God places upon their role. Uh, we should do some good things. And, and it says, in, in all good, in all good, and these good things we're going to find out later, uh, they're not taking of our possession and, and giving our teachers something of our possessions. It's actually talking about doing something, doing something, actually something that takes a little bit of work. And so, so in verse 6, we receive this instruction, and all of the rest of the paragraph is going to help us understand this instruction, some of it in the context of Galatia and Paul writing to them things they were struggling with. And so in verses 7 and 8, we, we get the rationale, if you will, something that, that motivates people to, to do this in the church. And, and we talk here about, about sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Evidently, if you look here, if you look here in the, in the Scripture, and there are some things going on. It says, don't be deceived. There is some kind of deception. Somebody is trying to mislead them. Perhaps, perhaps like happened in the Garden of Eden, somebody's saying to them, they didn't really mean that. Did he really say dot, dot, dot. And somebody's trying to cause them to, to doubt what they know is true and to deceive them and move them away from it. Uh, but not only that, it says God is not mocked. Evidently, something else that was happening to the Galatians is that when they tried to do what God wanted them to do, they tried to take care of their teachers, and they tried to do good things for their teachers, and people ridiculed them. Evidently in Galatia, this wasn't the way things happened for, for people who served you in, in other organizations. And, but they looked at the church and saw the church members doing this, and, and they ridiculed them. And in ridiculing the church, let me, let me make it clear, you mock God. Anyone who ridicules the church mocks God. And so they're facing this, and they're walking through these things. And, and so here, here it begins to talk about whatever a person sows, he will also reap. I could see somebody beginning to, to try and, and, and mock the church for this. Because you see, you see, the way it works in the kingdom of God, in all the kingdom, which lasts for all eternity, it includes right now, it includes this planet, includes everything that's going to happen in heaven, is what you sow, that which you will, you will also reap. That's just the way it works. And some people, some people who are not eternally minded, uh, they will get confused and they will say, listen, I see you doing these good things, but don't you see you're not getting anything for it? And they just don't understand. No, this is an eternal truth. This isn't for the moment this is the way it works in the kingdom that lasts for eternity. Eternally minded, what you reap, that you will sow. And so then he gets more specific and he, he says this about that sowing. The one who sows to his flesh, and that represents wickedness. The one who shows to, sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. 
And so there is a reward for those who, who do what God wants. Some people have always wondered, when the Bible talks about storing up treasure in heaven, how would you do that? Well, one of the ways you would do that is sowing to the Spirit, is doing good for those who teach you the Word of God. You want to store up treasure in heaven? Then you do good for those who, who teach you the Word of God. And this is an instruction at the beginning, that, that word share, it, it's an, and it's an instruction. It's a difficult thing to translate in, in English because we're used to second-person instructions. I look at my child and I say, clean up your room. I look at an adult that's doing something they shouldn't do, and I say, stop it. But here, here the one who is being taught in the Word is, is being commanded to share. And in English, we don't have a, a third-person singular way to, to communicate a command. I want you to know this is a straight-up command. This is a straight-up instruction for those who are taught the Word to share good things with those who teach them. And, and eventually, eventually, yes, you will reap what you sow. There will be a reward. But you need to get past what anybody may think in the short term. You need to get past anything that anybody say, may say along the lines of, well, what are you getting out of that? Because both you and they, and the way the kingdom of heaven and all eternity works, is you will reap what you sow, and they will reap what they sow. It doesn't matter what we see in the short term. Guys, that's just the way it is in God's kingdom. And that's the way it will turn out in the end. Say amen. And so, so he tells them this. He tells them this. In verse 9, there's some other obstacles that they face. Look, at, look with me at verse 9. First, there's fatigue. Let us not get tired or grow weary of doing good. Then it says, for if we... For we will reap at the proper time if we, then it says, don't give up. Uh, those two things, uh, that, that idea of, of fatigue, suggests to us that we need endurance. We need endurance to keep on going. And when it talks about don't give up, we need to resist any urge to stop based on, on, on uh, immediate things we see happening around us. Listen, God gives this command. God says that you will reap what you sow, and so you will receive a reward for doing good, especially to those who teach you. And so keep on. Instead of fatigue and quitting, what we need is endurance and, and perseverance to keep on, to keep on going and going and going. And verse 10, look at verse 10. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity. Do you see that? There is a time limit you may not always be at this church. You may not be in, on earth as long as you hope to be on earth. Amen? You don't know what will happen to you. And you don't know what the future holds for you. And so there's an opportunity, a time that is now. While you're under these teachers, while you're the one being taught to do good things for them. It says, as we have the opportunity, work for the good of all. It's actually a word that means work. Put out effort. Go to the trouble. Work at it. There's urgency because the moment is passing and, and there is work to be done. You're going to have to put effort into it. And so some people just come and attend church. Well, I want you to know you should come and attend church. 
And then having been here and been taught the Word of God, you should go get busy and work to do good things for those who are teaching you. And I've already had this conversation with a couple of people today. I want you for today to take me off the list because I teach here in Sunday school and I preach sometimes. Take me off the list today. I I don't want you to to think that I'm after anything. I, I don't want anything from you. There are so many teachers in this church that that need your attention and your care that you need to do good things for them. You need to do that. I want you to know that it's not self-serving today, nor is it on behalf of any teacher. Then it says this. It's interesting. After it talks about working for the good of all, it says, you see that good of all? All means all people everywhere. It means everybody. Then it says, especially for those who who belong to the household of faith. You see, we're supposed to do good for everybody. And then we're going to narrow it down, and he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But this paragraph goes one step further and says, specifically, specifically, do good for those who teach you the Word of God. Especially those. So don't miss out on this. And don't miss out on this. So I want to share with you some, some more stories. So, so when I became a pastor, I would preach, and every now and then I would, I would mention things that were personal to me. I like to use personal illustrations if I can. These right here are personal illustrations. It's easier for me to talk about me than someone else. And so one day I was, I was preaching, and some, something I was preaching, I used the illustration of a waffle iron. And I made a joke about we make so many waffles at our house. And, you know, after a while, crud builds up on it and things start sticking. And, and right now I'm having a problem with my waffle iron. It's sticking. And then I went on. And then I went on, and I just preached, and I went on. And I want you to know, the next Monday morning, I come into my office, and, and you know what's sitting on my, on my desk? But a brand new brown waffle iron because mine was sticking. Somebody did something for me. I burned that one up and I've replaced it now with another round one. But I want you to know there's not a time that I make waffles with that round waffle maker that I don't think about the kindness and the appreciation and the care of the person who did that for me. I'd also preach and I'd mention things that are, I kind of like, okay? Uh, I, guys, I'm a sucker for chocolate chip cookies. I'm a sucker for chocolate chip cookies. And so I use that as, a, as an illustration many times. And, and I would preach about chocolate chip cookies. And one Sunday, one Monday morning, I came in and there were three plates of chocolate chip cookies from different people. People would make chocolate chip cookies and they would bring them because I had mentioned them. I mentioned Twinkies. I mentioned Twinkies. It was a great illustration for whatever it was. And I talked about Twinkies. And I said, is there any more heavenly food than a Twinkie? And I, you know, I built it up, and I talked about Twinkies. And, and I want you to know, for the next several weeks, I had an unending supply of Twinkies. And I don't like Twinkies anymore. <laughs> but, but I also like peanut M&Ms. And I talked about, I used an illustration one time and talked about how driving, how I'd eat peanut M&Ms to keep me awake and, and how we need something to help us to, to stay alert in our spiritual life. And I talked about I, several times in the message I mentioned peanut M&Ms. Well, you know what happened Monday morning? You know what happened? Yeah. Yeah, I come in and there's a bunch of bags of peanut M&Ms just sitting there to keep me alert because nobody wants their pastor to wander off. When I was leaving Aztec and coming here to work for the state convention, I loved our children's ministry. I love all of our children. I love all of our students, all of our adults. But um, it, was, it was fun working 
working with the, the children and being able to lead children to Christ and to prepare them for baptism. And as I was leaving, one of our teachers in the children, children's department had all the kids write something they liked about me on a sticky note. And their intention was to cover the door of my office. And they covered the door of my office and the wall all around the door of my office. And I want you to know today I have a folder with every one of those sticky notes still in it. Because there are days that you just need to be able to remember those kinds of things. One of the amazing things that happened that, that happened year after year is while we served among our church family as a pastor, after a certain amount of time had passed, uh, uh, some friends of ours, the Watkins, invited us to their house. And they didn't just invite us to their house, they invited us to a family gathering where all the other people that were there were family. And they wanted us to come be part of that. And they said, because we think of you as family. And I want you to know it was a whole different thing to sit at somebody's house being invited as family. And sitting around, I found out that you could make a fire pit out of an old dryer drum. <laughs> as I sat around the fire pit at their house with other family members. And nobody wanted anything from me. They just wanted me to be comfortable. And wanted me to be part. And the next year they invited us again. And then another family, the Nichols, at Thanksgiving, began to invite us to their Thanksgiving gathering. We're not part of their family. Why would you invite the preacher? And they invited us over. It's one of the few homes that I'll, I, I'll feel comfortable falling asleep in the recliner. Guys, it's a different kind of relationship. It's a different kind of thing going on there. And they would invite us over to be part of their family and what was going on. And it's a whole different thing. They didn't want anything from us. They just wanted to love on us. And year after year after year, we would go and have Thanksgiving with their family. One day, one day I, I walked, out, walked up to my office door, had an outside office door, and I walked up to my office door, and uh, there's this big covered sidewalk uh, right outside my office door. And it's Sunday morning. I'm out there early to get everything ready for church. And, and sure enough, right there at the beginning, there's something wrong that I'm going to have to take care of. And it's going to be a lot of trouble. Because some, some person that lost their mind had put, had, had put a trailer on the sidewalk underneath the covering right in front of the doors where everybody comes and goes. And I was thinking, really, now I'm going to have to move it. Until I was a little note on the trailer. I had talked a couple of times about how as we travel with all of our kids, and Pastor Ronnie, you'll understand this, as we travel with all our kids, um, we'd start packing, and I'd get stuff packed, and Susan would come out with one more thing. And so I'd pack that. I'd pack that, and I would get it in and, and make it have room for everybody, and then she'd remember one more thing. And then we'd do it again, and, and it, was, it was difficult for us. She didn't want to think of one more thing because she knew it would upset me, and yet she knew that we'd be in trouble if she didn't think of one more thing because I wouldn't think of it. 
And, and there was this tension, and I mentioned it. We had talked about it a couple of times, probably in some sermon illustration. I was being vulnerable with my church, and there was a note on that trailer that said, Pastor, because we love you, and a bunch of church members had been gathering money for some time. And they bought us a trailer that has traveled all over the United States to all kinds of Southern Baptist convention meetings and everything else. And, and the beauty of that is Susan can pack all the one more thing she wants to because we have space changed our marriage. My church changed our marriage. For years, I had a man who would walk into my office every other week. He'd walk into my office every other week. He was a coin collector, and he had gone, and he had gotten some worthless penny, and he'd toss it on my desk and say, Pastor, a penny for your thoughts. And he'd just want to talk. He didn't want an answer to a question or a solution to a problem. He just wanted to know what was going on with me. Two weeks later, he'd walk in, and sometimes this hand would just kind of kind of reach around the door frame and flick a penny at me. And, and they were still in the little, little paper collector uh, coverings that they came in. And he would flick it over at me, and he'd walk in and say, hey, Pastor, a penny for your thoughts. And a couple of weeks later, another penny would show up. And then when some special occasion day came, I walked in, and on my desk was this, this round... Um, uh, this round silver coin. It was, it was pure silver. And I was just laying there on my desk. And he just did these kind of things over and over. Just to do a good thing. Just to do something over and over and over. I could tell you about ties. Guys, I've got the ties. <laughs> I've got the ties. I've got funeral home ties. I do. I, I've had people do all kinds of good things for me throughout the years. That's why I'm saying you can leave me off your list. But here's what I want to do. People have anonymously done good things for me. People who knew me and I knew who it was have done good things for me. People have done things alone good for me and they've done things as a group good for me. They've done big things for me and they've done small things for me. Uh, they've made things for me themselves or they've gone out and bought things for me. And they were faithful. They were faithful to this Scripture and to this command. They did good things for those who taught them the Word. But I want you to know the description doesn't say pastor, elder, bishop, any of the words that are translated those. It says the one who teaches the Word. So right now, if you are not on staff and you are a volunteer here in our church, and what you do involves teaching the Bible to children, students, or adults. Would you stand right now? Would you just stand up? Stand up right here in our midst. If you teach God's Word, stand up. Come on, some of you are deciding still if you're going to stand up. Stand up. Look around at these people. There's more than are here in this room right now. Would you give them a hand? Appreciate what they do. You personally know some of them. You may not know all of them because they don't all work in your area and teach your class or something. But I want you to do this. I want you to start thinking about doing something good for them. And then, then we have Andy. And, uh, and right now, Mark, we still have you for a day, for today, for the rest of this morning. We still have you. We have Andy. Guys, we have people here on our staff that teach the Bible. Amen.
And we need to do good things for them because God commands it and because we will reap what we sow. Would you give them a, a round of applause to say thank you for what you do? What I want to ask you to do is if God says and commands that the ones who are taught the Word should do something good for those who teach, I want you to think about what He has put within your means, within your reach, to do good. I don't know what it is. I don't know what little tiny thing or what big thing it is. I want you to know the size that it seems to you. Will, well, you will never know how, how much it means to them, how you affirm them. And in this day and age, people who teach the truth of the Word of God need encouragement because the world is getting more and more and more hostile to the Word they teach. And so we need to do this. So I want you to think about it. I want to invite you this morning to become a doer of good works to those who teach. So the title of my sermon this morning was simply this, Treating Teachers to Good. I hope that makes sense to you now. Here's what I'd like you to walk away with, this thought in your mind. This passage teaches us that church members should, should bless Bible teachers by doing good for them. Amen? Would you bow your head with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I just seek you this morning. I pray that, that you would help us to see the opportunities you've given us to do good to those who teach us the Scripture. I pray, Father, that, that you'd help us to, to honor them and communicate to them through these works the value that you have placed upon them and upon the work that they do in our midst as a church family. We thank you for them. Help us know what we can do. And help us to, to do these kinds of good works. And Lord God, let this be our treasure in heaven. We seek nothing immediately in return. We just want to be faithful to you. And you determine the time and the place and what comes back to us. But we give ourselves to you in this because they've given themselves to you in their task. Father, we lift them up to you. We pray for you. Pray for them, for you to take care of them. And Father, we pray for you to speak to our hearts and help us to do good for them. Father, we pray this in the sweet and holy name of Jesus. Say that name with me, Jesus. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. We're going to enter a time of, of invitation. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me during this time of invitation. Um, uh, Ronnie is going to be here. Is Andy over messing with the meal? Okay, you got to catch Andy later. Ronnie's going to be up here, maybe like I've done several times with pastors or you just need to slip out of the pewter in the invitation time. Instead of come up here and seek something from him, just come and say, Pastor, can I pray for you? It'll be okay if there's a little line. We'll let him pray for you. But he's here. I encourage you to do that. Those other teachers that are around, maybe you need to do the same thing for them. And maybe you need to move around the congregation and go over and put your arm around them and say thank you and pray for them and give thanks to them in their presence. And start your doing good right here. But perhaps you're here today and you've been hearing all of this and you're wondering about this. Uh, people teaching the Bible, people being taught the Bible and all that. And you feel kind of like an outsider because you don't really know Jesus. Uh, a proverb says that there is a way that seems right unto a man. 
but its end is in the way of death. The book of Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says the wages of sin is death. But the good news is this. Jesus said that God loved the world like this, that he sent his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. If that's just you this morning, you can believe on Jesus and we invite you to do that. We'll be standing down here at the front and we invite you to come and take our hand and just say, I need to follow Jesus. You don't have to be a theologian. All you have to do is be ready. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, would you come today and say, I need to follow Jesus. I need a Savior. And we'll help you with that. That's why the church is here. That's why all of our Bible teachers are here. That's why every saint in the room is here. We want to help you with that. You come. If, you, if you're here and you've been visiting and you want to be a church member, you come. You saw these baptisms, these four baptisms. Perhaps you this morning saw that and you know that you've not been baptized and you need to be. And you need to come to one of these guys and say, I need to be baptized. You come. You come this morning. Let's sing together.